0: We interrupt our program to bring you this important message.
1: Welcome in to the Break in the Action podcast. I am Brooks Carter, your host. Episode 1 of this new project that I am beginning, I hope you will enjoy it. This is a podcast about sports, podcast about life, and a podcast about anything that uh, is on my mind that I would like to talk about, which most of the time is going to be sports. Many of you that are listening will probably know who I am, but uh, my background professionally includes Uh, Radio stops in Tuscaloosa, Birmingham, that market there to begin with while I was in college at the University of Alabama, as well as Nashville, my first year out of college at ESPN 1025 The Game, as well as a few other stations up there with the Cromwell Radio Group doing some promotions and production work for them. Then I moved down to Chattanooga, that is my hometown market growing up in Dalton, Georgia, just about 30 minutes south down I-75 of Chattanooga. I worked with WRCB Channel 3 TV for about two years, did all sorts of things with them, uh, primarily as a uh, photojournalist, working with news and sports, also did some digital web content for the sports department, kind of a third wheel for them. Then I jumped back into radio full-time August of 2017. I w- began working part-time with ESPN 105 on the Zone in Chattanooga, moved into a full-time role as their assistant program director beginning back in April of 2018. So enough about that crap. Let's uh, talk about the show. This is going to be a fun show. As I just uh, mentioned, this is a a podcast about uh, sports and life, and each week we are going to feature uh, a guest uh, from my fraternity of guests, I guess for a lack of a better term is what I will call them. Most of the time it's going to feature somebody that uh, I, I am good friends with within the industry, the sports media industry, and they'll hang out with us for 30-plus minutes or so. Uh, this week we're going to be joined by uh, Jamal Williams, as I know him, now professionally going by Jamal St. Cyr. Uh, he worked for WDEF Channel 12 in Chattanooga. He and I co-hosted a podcast together with ESPN 105 on the Zone on their website called The Fifth Quarter. He's awesome, and he and I have great uh, interaction and chemistry and stuff, so looking forward to having him uh, come on from the uh, – Nearly 30 episodes that we did, we always have a good time, so looking forward to catching up with him. He's now down in Jacksonville as a weekend sports anchor with a TV station down there covering the Jaguars and everything else going on uh, with sports down on the First Coast, as Jacksonville is known. So uh, we'll do that coming up later in the show. You can listen to the show each week. It is going to be available on anchor.com, and I believe they also have a web address, anchor.fm, can also find it with the Anchor app. This is a great podcasting platform app. It is uh, free of service, and they also uh, give you that RSS feed where you can make it available for uh, anybody that listens to podcasts pretty much anywhere, such as iTunes or Spotify. We hope to have the podcast up and rolling on both of those uh, coming up here in the next couple of days after the initial recording. iTunes kind of takes a couple of days, 48, 72 hours, however long it takes uh, to, to get it submitted and for them to accept it and all that crap. Uh, so we will have it there, uh, soon, just not yet. Uh, so hang tight. Uh, but when it does come out on iTunes, I'll, I'll tweet that out on my Twitter page at Brooks A. Carter, uh, shameless plug there for my Twitter page. So find it there and, uh, subscribe. So you get notified when new episodes come out of break in the action. So uh, let's go ahead and get into it. Each week I'm just going to kind of jump right in with stuff that's on my mind uh, in the sporting world, uh, just relevant to to what's current, and we'll do that each week. So let's begin with the MLB playoffs. As I'm sitting here uh, recording, I am watching the Atlanta Braves in game one of the NLDS uh, taking on the St. Louis Cardinals They have home field advantage in this series, finished with the second-best record in the National League. So let's start with that series. Braves, huge Braves fan uh, growing up in Georgia, huge Atlanta sports fan in general. The Braves are trying to win their first postseason series since 2001. Think about that. It's been almost two decades for a team, an organization that dominated for the better part of 15 years, won 14 consecutive division titles from 1991 one through 2005, only one World Series to show for that. They made it to several World Series, 91, 92, 95, 96, 99. They made it to five, only got that one championship out of it, which I know a lot of Braves fans are still bitter about. But incredible run nonetheless of, of how consistently good that they were. And even still the last four years of that run, 2002, 03, 04, 05, where they still made the playoffs. They didn't win a single series that year uh, during those four years. And then even since then, they've made the playoffs uh, a couple of times there under uh, Freddie Gonzalez in the back half of uh, uh, the last couple of years of Chipper Jones' career as well as with Bobby Cox. They made it uh, when he was still there before he retired. And now they made it last year as they've kind of dipped down as they, they had the rebuild where they were one of the worst teams in baseball. And now... Last year and this year, they've now won back-to-back NL East champion or uh, NL East division crowns, and they still have not won a playoff series since 2001. And I think that is something they're looking to change, and I think they will change. Uh, the Cardinals had a good year this year. Uh, I think it was a, a bit, a little bit surprising. I, I expected the Cubs to be coming out of that division, uh, especially considering all the great talent that they still have there. Um, still coming off that World Series run just a couple of years ago. So, uh, good season by the Cardinals to get here, but but the Braves have been such an outstanding team, especially here in the second half of the season. They got their players uh, healthy. They had uh, Ronald Acuna and Freddie Freeman both kind of nicked up the last week or so of uh, the regular season. They, they gave them some time off, and they are claimed to be 100% healthy coming into this series, and, Hopefully they can take care of business, uh, as you have heard. That's where my rooting interests lie. Now, on the other side of the uh, National League, in the NLDS, you've also got the Dodgers and the Nationals. The Nationals uh, won in a comeback fashion in the wild card game against the Milwaukee Brewers. And a little surprised by that, the Nationals have had just horrendous luck in the postseason. They had a great second half to get there. Uh, This was a team that people – Weren't really sure what to expect from them this year. I think some people thought they were had the possibility of being good, but uh, th- they still thought they would finish behind the Phillies, who didn't even finish first in the division this year. You know, they, they let go of Bryce Harper, and maybe that's what it was. Maybe, maybe getting rid of Bryce Harper enabled them to finally advance in the postseason. This was the, the first time, going back to that Brewers game, that the Nationals were even able to advance – uh, in in the postseason, if if you want to count that, it's it's kind of like a play-in game. But they have the daunting challenge of taking on the Los Angeles Dodgers, the two-time defending NL champs. But they haven't been able to win the whole thing, and that is the is is got to be the, the biggest storyline of the National League of all four teams there. I th- I think it's the the Los Angeles Dodgers. Can they get back, and can they finally bring the whole thing home? Clayton Kershaw, that is the big elephant in the room with him, with his career. Uh, He struggled occasionally um, throughout his postseason career. He is a guy who is a future Hall of Famer. He's been the best pitcher consistently in baseball over the last five-plus years, and this team has been right there on the cusp all the time, it seems, in the last five years. And now they're looking at two opportunities that they've missed to win the World Series. And we all know how hard it is to get back to that stage. And having not won it, that that's, that, that is by far, in my opinion, the biggest storyline in the National League uh, playoffs is can the Dodgers get back and can they finally win it? And if they do get back and don't win it, then they start turning it into uh, the conversation of the Buffalo Bills by losing at that point three consecutive uh, World Championships, approaching that that territory the Bills had with losing uh, four in a row uh, in the Super Bowls back in the early nineties. So moving over the uh, the uh, American League, won't spend too much time here, but uh, you got the Astros and the Rays. Rays are one of the the true Cinderella story, I would say, of this postseason with one of the lowest payrolls in baseball. Kind of a, they had a good year last year, but were Stuck in a division behind two teams with the Red Sox and the Yankees that won 100 plus games. And it's hard to do a damn thing when you got those two teams in your division like they had last year. Historically good, uh, a historically good Red Sox team that wound up winning the World Series. Uh, So the Rays, though, have come out and and had a great year this year, wound up finishing ahead of those defending champion Red Sox, and they play their way in with a win over the. uh, Oakland Athletics in the wild card game to get into the ALDS now. They're taking on an Astros team that boasts a legendary pitching rotation uh, with a, a three three guys at the top of your rotation that I believe can rival that of, of Smoltz, Glavin, and Maddox. Still going to take those guys from the 90s. But uh, the, the Astros are going to be a tough out. The Rays have a tall task here of taking down those guys, especially when you've got the caliber of starters going up in three games when all you need is three games to win it in a best-of-five series. Now, the one that I think that's going to be the most fun to watch, especially if they replicate what they did in the regular season, is the Yankees and the Twins. Both teams finished 1-2 in the MLB, and total home runs hit on the season. Twins with three oh seven, Yankees with three oh six. Really close. I mean, literally, I mean, just right down to the wire, either team could have wound up finishing first with that. But with the Twins finishing first, They break the Yankees' single-season record for team home runs, which, by the way, was just set last year. So with that number, 307, the Yankees' season total this year, 306, would have also broken that record. So the two greatest seasons ever from a power-hitting standpoint when you look at these two lineups and they're going against each other in a playoff series. We're going to see balls flying everywhere. This is going to be fun to watch. There's one series that I, if you have no allegiance to any team, but you just want to watch the MLB playoffs, watch this series. So, let's go on to some college football here. My favorite thing to talk about, my my favorite sport of choice when it comes to a college or professional sporting entity, let's jump into it here, college football. Bama, uh, my uh, alma mater, ranked number one in the new poll, and... No stranger to being ranked number one in the poll, obviously. They were spent the bulk of last season there. They spent the bulk of many polls there during the Nick Saban era over the last dozen years or so. And the thing about it this week, though, Clemson, who has been the, I don't want to say undisputed, but for the most part that is true, since the 28-point victory the pounding of Alabama that they had in the national championship last year to win their second title in third years uh, in three years they have been hands down the team that everybody had as their number one team coming into this year and they've been the number one team every week in the poll but now some some doubt is starting to creep up with Clemson and they almost lose last week a game that Honestly, could have gone to overtime. Should have gone to overtime if Mac Brown elects to kick the PAT. Final score of that game: twenty-one to twenty, with uh, Clemson on the road in Chapel Hill. The old man, Mac Brown, back with uh, the Tar Heels, and he elects to go for two to try to win the whole darn thing. Can't say I blame him. Trying to pull off what would have been the upset of the year. So Clemson looked vulnerable there, and their quarterback looks vulnerable. Their offense is not what everybody thought it was going to be. With Trevor Lawrence coming back with his first full year as a starter, Lawrence has thrown quite a bit of interceptions. So they now get moved down to two, and they move Alabama up to number one. I don't think Alabama. I I don't think they are the number one team in the country right now. And I don't even know who you would put there to be honest, because everybody appears to have holes. I know they got to put somebody there, but I would have I would have preferred to just see. You know, they're the defending champs. Clemson is. Yeah, they looked like they probably could have gotten beat, but they didn't. They're still unbeaten. Just leave them there. Alabama's defense looks super suspect so far this year, and I, I think that this is uh, not a position Nick Saban probably wants to be in, but he's been there enough times. So let's let's hop into SEC action a little bit. Five unbeaten teams. We're going to talk about this a little more in detail with uh, Jamal St. Cyr, uh, joining us coming up, Jamal Williams, as I know him, but professionally known as Jamal St. Cyr. Now uh, coming up in our in our next segments. Uh, but SEC has five unbeaten teams, all ranked in the top ten. The the, the thing about these guys is, who's going to separate themselves? Because I mean, I, I I don't remember the last time that you have had. This just concentration of great teams entering the month of October. It's, it's been a while, uh, just in general. Uh, I think you have to go back to 2012 was the last time I remember five SEC teams being ranked in the top ten. You might have even had six that year. That was Johnny Manziel's Heisman Trophy winning season. You had uh, Alabama. You had LSU up there. You also had Texas A&M, who I just mentioned All three of those teams were 10-win teams. You had Florida. That was the one really good year uh, under Will Muschamp that they had where they wound up going to the Sugar Bowl. You had a Georgia team that was really good that year. And you had South Carolina who was still an 11-win team. Yeah, so you had six teams. That's the last time I remember the SEC being this crazy dominant was that 2012 season. Now, looking at it, though, it's going to play itself out. It always does. And in this case, it it, it surely will because all – five of these teams wind up playing each other for the most part. You've got Auburn with the most brutal stretch as they have to play all four. Game day in Gainesville this weekend as you have Auburn taking on Florida on the road at the Swamp, a game that we have not seen there with these two opponents since 2006, which I'll save that conversation for a later day. That's ridiculous that Auburn has not played at Florida in 13 years with the way that this stupid schedule is set up, but Auburn plays at Florida this week, and then they also play at LSU, and then they have home games with Auburn or with uh, with Alabama and Georgia at the end of the season. So they got to play all four of these teams with, uh, that are ranked in the top five or top ten right now that are in the SEC. Bama plays two of them; they play LSU and Auburn. They play um, LSU at home, and then at Auburn, you got Georgia, who plays. Florida, obviously, down in Jacksonville. Then you've also got them playing a road game at Auburn. LSU plays three of them. They play Auburn as well as the Florida Gators with their permanent crossover game, and then they play Alabama as well. Florida plays Auburn this weekend, who we just talked about, as well as the Georgia Bulldogs and LSU. So this is going to work itself out. But uh, if I had a prediction here, I actually go back to my SEC Media Day's vote. I picked Auburn to finish second in the west. And I told some people that I decided to do that and they thought I was crazy. This Auburn team every time they don't have a ton of hype coming into these uh, coming into the to to the year, Gus Malzana somehow winds up working his magic. And you add to that, they've got the best freaking defensive line in the country in my opinion, the unbelievable defensive line. And we've seen last couple years how good how a good defensive line can carry a team. Just look at Clemson. I mean, Auburn's defensive line this year rivals that of Clemson last year, and I think that's going to carry them a long way. And Bo Nix, the quarterback, continues to look more and more comfortable in that offense, and he's taking care of the football. He's not turning it over. So this this Auburn team, I think, if you look at it, is the scariest of the teams, but their schedule's just so crazy hard. I mean, they they could finish – Eight and four and nine, or nine and three, and still be one of the best five or six teams in the country. And if that happens, they're not even going to sniff a New Year Six Bowl or be anywhere close to an SEC Western Division crown. Uh, so, so I I think that's I th- I really believe Auburn is the biggest threat to Alabama in the West uh, over LSU in my opinion. LSU's defense looks total suspect, and this offense is glamorous that they have with Joe Brady bringing him in as the pass coordinator uh, that Coach O has done. And Joe Burrow looks great. These receivers look awesome. And I know they're just chalking people up offensively right now. I don't necessarily believe that it's going to be sustainable the whole year, though. And as suspect, kind of similar to that of Alabama, as suspect as this defense looks, I think teams are going to be able to score points on them. They, They gave up 38 to Vanderbilt. They gave up 38 to Texas. I, I think LSU's probably still got two losses out there somewhere. Uh, Georgia, I, don't think, I still don't think they're going to have any problems in the East. Uh, you're, you're looking at a team with Georgia now that has won 14 consecutive SEC East games. And Florida, maybe they're better offensively. I still don't quite know uh, with Felipe Franks being out for the year. Kyle Trask taking over at quarterback. I'm still just not sure of the Florida Gators. Gonna find out a lot about them this weekend. So to finish out the opening segments here of the show, gonna continue with some SEC talk here, and let's go up to Rocky Top here. No, we're not really gonna to talk too much about the one and three start that the Vols have had. It's that that's has been well documented uh, across the entire Southeast. That, that you could have listened to anywhere from a national perspective down to the Paul Feinbaum show to, to any local sports show around t- uh, the state of Tennessee and, and honestly just around the South in general. It's been a huge topic uh, just how, how awful the Vols have been. I want to talk about what happened this week. And this has been hot news off the press all throughout Knoxville this week and has now turned into national news as TMZ and some other major news corporations have – Gotten a hold of it, and that is starting linebacker Jeremy Banks getting arrested this week. So, Banks gets arrested, or perhaps happened over the weekend. Uh, the, the date is irrelevant. It's happened within the last week. Uh, Jeremy, ba- or Jeremy Banks getting arrested, starting linebacker, number 33, had a couple of picks uh, a few weeks back in that, uh, that one win that they did have this season against the Chattanooga Mocs. He gets pulled over kind of a routine traffic stop. Police run his information. They discover he's got an outstanding warrant for not paying a ticket. And banks, you can find the audio. WBI or the NBC affiliate, Channel 12 out of Knoxville, has this posted, uh, the unfiltered, the entire video it's about it's a little over six minutes long. It's on their YouTube page. You can go check it out. I want to play you a clip here coming up in in, in a few moments, um, but but it's the 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 body cam video from one of the officers, and this is from the UTPD. This is not Knoxville Police. This is the University of Tennessee's Police Department, UTPD, and they wind up arresting Jeremy Banks, obviously because he's got this outstanding warrant. The probably the first three to four minutes of the video is just Banks conversing back and forth with a police officer. And they also have an intern, a female intern in the car uh, that is in a ride along with the police officer. And the verbiage and the wording that Banks is using to this police officer and this intern is a total lack of respect for authority. And at one point, he tells them where i come from we shoot at cops i'm from memphis and he later goes on to tell the intern that she doesn't need to be a police officer you can listen to the full audio i mean but th- that part super alarming that's the that's the the quote that jumped off the page that now national media outlets have gotten a hold of tennessee starting linebackers saying through dash cam video telling an officer where I come from, we shoot at cops. Not a great look. So later on in the video, same video, Banks actually winds up calling, guess who? Head football coach Jeremy Pruitt. It's like 3 in the morning. Pruitt, you can tell, sounds like he just woke up. It woke him up in the middle of the night. Pruitt, obviously not happy, is... Kind of, I guess, a little perplexed as to what all is going on in the first place. Um, and when he's being told about what's going on, he kind of, to be honest, thinks it's ridiculous that all of this is going on in the first place. And he was confused about why he was even getting arrested or why he even had a warrant because he thought that he paid a ticket. So this is the part of the audio I'm going to play for you here uh, from Jeremy Pruitt, as you can hear. Him on speakerphone through the dash cam. Why do you
2: have to arrest him just because he's got a warrant? Because, because the state there? of Tennessee is the one who issued the warrant, so I have Very to take him in gotcha. for that warrant. I have not, Like I said, I have no choice about that. If it was just a suspended license, I can have discretion on that. But since there's a warrant out for his arrest, I have no discretion on that. Does itself. it say when the warrant was issued? Nah, no, sir. It just says that there's a warrant for his arrest.
0: This is the silliest shit I've ever seen in my life. I got it. I understand. Yeah. I've
1: worked at four places and they never had no crap like this except for here. You heard it. Expletive field there. This is the silliest blank I've ever seen in my life. He is not happy with uh, with that entire, uh, that entire thing anyways. And throughout the video, I watched the whole video and listened to it. Pruitt is is just upset and angry in general that, you know, he's, he, he talks about how Banks, uh, you know, the way that he grew up with his background, he didn't have anybody really teaching him how to handle stuff like this. In fact, he said Banks came to the coaching staff and was asking for assistance in how to handle – paying off this or taking care of this this traffic violation that he was later, uh, you know, served a warrant for. In general, though, not a great look for Jeremy Banks, obviously, with what he said about the where I come from, we shoot cops, but also not for Pruitt because later on I think there's something that Pruitt is, is going to regret. In general, I like Pruitt sticking up for his player this is not that huge of an offense. It's it's not a, it's not a big deal what Banks did. It's a huge deal what Banks said. And in his interaction with the police officer, I think that's something that he obviously needs to, to reevaluate and and take and learn a lesson from in, in the way that you interact with a police officer. You just don't ever know how things can escalate, especially when you're talking to them in a threatening manner. But in general, the offense is not, is not a significant thing. So I get Pruitt trying to stand up for his player, but the last thing that he says that you hear in the video right at the tail end, he says, go ahead, do your civic duty, man. If there's a warrant out for your arrest and you get pulled over, the cop is going to take you to jail. Doesn't matter how or why, what happened, that, that led to said person getting a warrant, that guy's doing his job. I mean, I I just the, – the the matter in which Pruitt kind of went at, uh, went about saying that, I, I just I, – I don't think that was uh, probably a positive thing to say, and, and I don't think that that's a great look. And it just adds on to everything that has been going on this miserable – start to the season as they prepare to host one of the best teams in the country this week in the Georgia Bulldogs. So coming up next here on Break in the Action, the Break in the Action podcast, we're going to be joined by our first guest ever on the show, and that'll be Jamal St. Cyr from Jacksonville, a great friend of mine, former co-host of mine, with the Fifth Quarter Podcast, and he's going to join us and hang out for a little while and talk about a multitude of things, including uh, Minshew Mania going on down in Jacksonville that he's had the chance to cover, as well as Jalen Ramsey, who has made NFL headlines throughout the first few weeks of the season uh, with his trade demands and requests. We'll also talk a little bit of college football, as well as some other topics. So stick around. This is the Break in the Action Podcast. We'll be back after this. Welcome back in to Breaking the Action. This is the Breaking the Action podcast, Episode 1. I am Brooks Carter, your host, and as I just teased before the break, happy to be joined by a good friend of mine, former co-host of mine for a little while on a podcast with ESPN Radio in Chattanooga, the fifth quarter, uh, then known as Jamal Williams, now professionally being recognized as Jamal St. Cyr. You can follow him on Twitter at TV. J -S 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 S T C Y R T V, uh, Jamal, how's it going, man? I, I, it's been a while, and, and you are now located in Jacksonville to give everyone a nice little career update. Uh, how are, how are the beaches down there uh, as compared to? Are you Are you enjoying beach weather as opposed to uh, <laughs> lake lake and river weather here in the scenic city? Hey, you know I can't complain. Uh,
0: the The beaches are good. Uh, it, it gets real hot and real humid. Just about every day, but you know, hey, it's, it's all right. I, I can't complain too much having fun down here, uh, just trying to keep up with everything that's going on with the Jaguars. So,
1: yeah, yeah, I'm sure that's quite a transition into uh, a market where uh, perhaps the biggest thing in town was uh, the. Amateur, semi, whatever. I don't even know what to really call it with the soccer team. (laughs) I don't really feel like calling it a true professional team. But uh, you've got two soccer teams in a a Division I AA school uh, as the biggest thing in town. And then you go to actually having a professional sports team. What's what's kind of that transition been like?
0: Oh man, it's been crazy. I got here like the day before training camp started and officially, you know, started on the job. So I've been going full steam ahead. And then all the beat writers have been here for, you know, 10, 15 years. So they're going through back doors at the Jaguars facility. And I'm like, ah can I walk down this hallway? I don't want to get kicked out, you know? And and they're like, this is the most exciting the team's been in in 10 years. I'm like, great. I'm still trying to figure out how to get back and forth from the TV studio to the locker room. So... <laughs> it has definitely been a crash
1: course <laughs> i would imagine so i mean that's that's always the case when you when you jump to a new market is, uh, you know you get so comfortable doing what you're doing especially what you were in chattanooga what three four years something like that
0: uh, about four and a half yeah Yeah.
1: so i mean same same here I'm, I'm in the position of where i i will be hopefully stepping into a new market soon so i i, I will uh be getting that crash course uh, soon enough here but uh, Jamal uh, let's go ahead and jump into it with those jags uh, they, they've had a couple of national stories uh, resonating yeah. throughout uh, the, the NFL uh, news headlines uh, whether it be through the preseason or, or now you know still both uh, is the case when it comes to Jalen Ramsey so we'll start with him uh, wh- what has that been like I'm sure you know since you've come come down there uh, that was one of the more polarizing players that, that I'm sure that you've Uh, gotten an opportunity to even come in acquaintance with uh, during your uh, broadcasting career. Uh, A, have you actually gotten to interview him? And B, just kind of talk about that whole situation.
0: You know, the the Jalen Ramsey situation is one that – everyone's on different sides of the coin. And really the way I look at it at this point is, you know, there's been a shift in professional sports where probably through the 90s and 2000s and even before then, the team had all the power. And then you have this push for power from the players in the NBA. And now we're seeing that really start to head over into the NFL. We saw guys like Le'Veon Bell force his way out and Melvin Gordon kind of trying to do the same thing. And now, I, you know, Jalen Ramsey is sort of pushing back against that authority now and kind of doing the same thing. So people are either pro player or pro organization. And that's where a lot of the the disagreement on how Ramsey's handling the situations goes. Uh, A lot of people saw the blow up in week two on the sideline with head coach Doug Marone. Ramsey said, you know, outright that he doesn't have a problem with Doug Marone. He doesn't have a problem in the locker room. A lot of people like to paint Jalen Ramsey as this big locker room problem. The players in the locker room love Jalen Ramsey. So that is a complete an absolute lie Jalen Ramsey has taken you know the the whole storyline and been able to control it because he goes on different podcasts and just airs his and, and vents his anger there and lets you know so he's controlling the narrative uh and he's made it clear that Tom Coughlin who is basically in charge of football operations for the Jaguars said something that he deemed disrespectful after that Texans game to him and you know he he Ramsey straight up said, you know, once there's a loss of, disrespect, of respect for both sides, it's just time to part ways. Uh, we know Ramsey wants a new contract. He asked for it before the season. Jaguar said no. And outside of Joey Bosa, when Ramsey was drafted, he was drafted fifth. Three of the guys outside of Bosa have all gotten their contract extensions. Goff's gotten one. Ezekiel Elliott's gotten one now. So Ramsey's that guy that's sitting there like, look, man, I'll play at this contract. Now Tom Coughlin's going to disrespect me. I only get to play in the NFL for, what, 15 years if I have a great career? Why am I going to sit here and waste five on a team that hasn't shown a consistent commitment to winning and has now disrespected me and I'm not sure they want to pay me? So it, it, it just depends on how you want to look at it. Of Do you do you see pro player of he has a short career when you put it in the grand scheme of things and he has every right to say, look, I don't want to play here. If y'all don't want to pay me what I want to be worth and you don't want to respect me as a grown man, then send me somewhere else. Or do you go pro team of he should just shut up and play for whatever he's getting paid? And I think that's what it really comes down to.
1: The, the narrative has continued to change on that too. Uh, for, from a, a fan standpoint, you still have your fans um, and, and – this is uh, I'm kind of seeing a parallel between the two and we'll get your thoughts uh, towards the towards the end of you joining us on the whole NCAA thing that's going on with the player likeness uh, th- there seems to be a huge divide between fans when it comes to your kind of uh, your old school fans who are, are of the nature of just shut up and play do what the, do what the coach wants do what the organization wants then you're having um, you know this new generation of fan that, that is I think is more, From from the millennial generation, or even some of those older guys who are starting to come around to the idea that um, these players do, in fact, only get uh, you know on average way less than fifty. You said a great uh, a great career. That's an outstanding career if you're in the league for fifteen years.
0: Exactly. Uh, And you figure if he's drafted by the Jaguars, he the first contract. You know they have a fifth year option on it because he was a first round pick. Plus, you get to play the franchise tag dance after that. That could easily be more than half of your career with one team.
1: Yeah, well, it, and the thing I'm sitting here thinking too, you're, you're, you're talking about the shift with the player you know, trying to take charge of their own career. You gave tons of references in the NFL. I think this all started with LeBron James with the decision to go to Miami. I think it started, oh, it did. It started in the is, NBA and it's trickled into all other professional sports now.
0: Definitely. The NBA is at the forefront of this thing. LeBron James, for everything he'll be remembered for playing for on the court, he has taken the the power and shifted it in the NBA. Players are now completely running that show. And, you know, the owners and a lot of the coaches have embraced that and understand it, you know, and are pandering to that of sorts. The NFL is just kind of dipping their toes in it because you had players sitting there like, well, he gets to go wherever he wants. Why, you know, why am I sitting here? stuck in the, on this team that I don't want to be on. So it, it's definitely, I think it's a bit of a generational shift. Like you said, old school fans tend to think that, you know, the the players should just shut up and play a lot of younger fans that have grown up seeing what LeBron James has done in the NBA or like, well, just let him trade him then, you know, let him play wherever he wants to play or, or maybe Coughlin's the problem. Uh, you know, for me, honestly, I, if I, and and I, the one thing that I did forget to mention is that actually earlier this week, today's Thursday, so on Wednesday, Shad Khan became the chief investor in a new news network. He did an interview with the Associated Press, and he said he thinks that the Jaguars will not be trading Jalen Ramsey because keeping Jalen Ramsey on the team is what's best for business.
1: Huh. Well, fair so, enough.
0: So when the owner kind of puts his foot down, that, that leads you to think, okay, Jalen Ramsey sells tickets. Jalen Ramsey put, sells jerseys. Jalen Ramsey helps you win games. Tom Coughlin is an older guy who's probably pretty close to retirement and hasn't really built the greatest roster here anyway. To me, that sounds like the owner's starting to side toward, I can replace Tom Coughlin. I can't replace an all pro cornerback on the field as easily.
1: Yeah, well, because, I mean, and there's such a, a statewide appeal. Uh, you know him having played at Florida State, being a part of a mm-hmm. national championship team. So you know, I, you know, it goes back to the days uh, of them talking about how the Jaguars should have brought in Tim Tebow for the sole fact that they were having trouble trouble with attendance. This is that's still a real issue for the Jaguars. So if the owners coming out saying that, that that makes total sense from that standpoint.
0: Now the the next guy that we'll talk about is going to probably help them solve that attendance issue a little, I, little bit if he keeps playing well. Absolutely, but, you know, Jalen Ramsey definitely. I, I, and I kind of side with Sean Conn a little bit. I think Ramsey has played for the Jaguars. He's played hard. And there were question marks as to if this season and still question marks if this season goes badly and the, this team ends up with a top draft. pick Again, you know, the whole front office is going to be on the hot seat. If I'm Shad Khan, I'm not trading Jalen Ramsey, not right now, because let's say you trade him and you get their asking price of the two first-round picks. Now, I got two first-round picks and a brand-new front office. There's no guarantee that those two first-round picks turn into anything good. No, no. So I I know I have an all-pro corner. If there's a possibility that I might have to clean house in the front office anyway and that's his only problem – I'm, I'm saying, no, y'all can't trade him. I'll make that decision when it comes time if I decide that you people will still be here. Because I know I can replace a coach. I can replace a general manager. I can replace a president of football operations with people that will be as good, if not better. I don't know if I can replace a Jalen Ramsey. To have a cornerback who can you know, say, all right, I want DeAndre Hopkins or I want Julio Jones and actually – slow them down, you know, that makes the defensive coordinator's life so much easier. And guys like that are few and far between.
1: Yeah. And, I mean, I actually just heard somebody um, earlier today talking about this on a sports radio show that I was listening to, uh, talking about how they think that, uh, you know, looking across all professional sports, playing defensive back in the NFL is probably the hardest position of any sport in the world right now because of, the way that the rules are set up, and how sophisticated passing games are now, and how much of a disadvantage just from the rule book that defensive backs are set up at. So when you've got a guy that is premium talent like Jalen Ramsey, uh, I tend to agree with you. Now you just teased to this a second ago, and uh, talking about <laughs> selling selling tickets and stuff. Minshew mania has taken over in Jacksonville. Uh, you know, people who were familiar with. Uh, Washington State uh, n- went crazy over him last year, but that was just that one small uh, little corner of the state of Washington. Now the the country uh, is getting exposed to it at the NFL level. We had the Uncle Rico segment that was on uh, Sunday NFL Countdown last week, and uh, he he's he's on uh, Minshew Mania is is the, the the Twitter header for like uh, the 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 header photo on on. The Jags page. Now, this is nuts, man. This is not what anybody, including yourself, I'm sure, just coming down to the market, expected from the Jags this year after signing Nick Foles, a Super Bowl champion.
0: Let me tell you, this stuff has gotten completely out of hand. The Jaguars are literally selling two-game ticket packages right now. And if you buy the ticket package, they give you a fake mustache, a headband, and you get to take a picture with all of it on on the field. That's how legitimate Minshew mania has gotten. Nobody saw this coming. The Jaguars went, you know, lost all their preseason games. Minshew looked terrible on the field during preseason. You're talking about a sixth round pick who comes in, and we're questioning if he even should be the backup quarterback. Like, do you really want to go into the season with a rookie sixth round pick backup quarterback who? played you know one good preseason game and three bad ones uh, it, so n- nobody saw this coming I, I'd be a liar if I said oh yeah I knew Gardner Minshew she was gonna be great no. but the kid is so likable uh, you know when you when you talk to him he's down to earth he's not letting any
1: of this attention go to his head he's got some he amazing to quads play. too <laughs> he does have
0: some amazing quads uh, he's, he's the, the, coming the, the for Saquon
1: Barkley man
0: and he and he the thing is this is really who he is before anybody really cared about him the first time I saw him showing up to the Jaguars facility he was in jean shorts that were up to show his quads he was in a tank top and a headband and some and some aviator sunglasses this is just who he is and people are are loving just who he is i mean you he has tons of stories you know the one of the ones that i think probably my favorite one was when you know he turned down Nick Saban to go be the backup quarterback at Alabama, he was going to be the third stringer.
1: there. Yeah, and he wasn't he to, be a, to GA. be a football coach. Yeah, a GA, that's amazing, yeah. man.
0: And and you know Mike Leach called him and obviously went there. But before that, he was trying to figure out how he could just get one more year of football. So he tried to break his hand so he could redshirt, so he could just get one more year. Oh my gosh. He, he literally drank – was taking shots of Jack and hit his hand with a hammer, and he said he got – he hit his hand twice before he realized, well, maybe this isn't a bad uh, – isn't a good idea because my hand's not going to break. Like, you know, you're talking about a guy who just wants to play football. He, he is authentic, and people love him for who he is, and, you know – I'm just itching. If the if the Jaguars win against Carolina on Sunday, their next home game's against the Saints, and I know the stands will be filled with headbands and and mustaches.
1: That's the, it. it. There was a really good crowd in Denver. I, I was curious uh, how many of those fans in Jaguars gear were actually Washington State football fans. So that being, I guess, semi close uh, to 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 Washington State as as the Washington State University borders Idaho, so. Uh, you know, I was I was for for a fan uh, for a team that struggles to to fill the stands and have a prominent fan base. I was impressed with the amount of uh, you know, tail and black that was in the stands at Denver.
0: Well, yeah, they've had, he's gotten the opportunity to play in front of some of those Washington State fans because week two the Jaguars played in Houston. Well, that weekend Washington State just happened to play Houston down there and a lot of the Washington State fans actually stayed in Houston for the extra couple of days so that way they could go and watch Gardner Minshew make his first official start in the NFL. You know, he's, he's a guy who really has – those people – and he was only there a year, which is what's hard to wrap your head around. I can't think of another college football player that only played in a, in a, at a school for one year and has just endeared themselves to a community like that. It Cam Newton at Auburn. It just doesn't happen that way.
1: Cam Newton at well, Auburn is the clo- is is uh, by far and large the I, I would say bypass Gardner Minshew. Maybe um, with but his people one-
0: either love or hate him. You know,
1: <laughs> no at Auburn they love him though, man. I mean, you you talk about the perfect season, Heisman Trophy, fourteen and O sure. national championship. I mean, like literally Auburn fans because there's no professional team in Alabama, right? Over half <laughs> of Auburn fans are Carolina Panthers fans, literally just because of him. So, hmm. yeah, it's it's kind of crazy so uh yeah Gardner Minshew though um unbelievable I, I think th- th- this is uh, uh, uh how much of a lightning in the bottle thing do you think this is because I, I, I mean I don't think it's sustainable uh, the
0: see that and that's the question that I've been getting a lot is that people say oh you know you know that the thing that's consistent about all these people that always get this hype and this mania and this fad is that it always wears off and I, I, I don't think that's Gardner Minshew. I think this kid is legit. The one thing that you know I can say about the Jaguars is that overall they don't have a lot of like DJ Charks played well for them at wide receiver, but they don't have any you know outstanding wide receivers that are just all pro level guys that are just making his life easy. They don't have a great offensive line that have been keeping him clean. Winter Fournette hasn't been, he's had the one good game against Denver, but he hasn't been some outstanding running back. Now given team are still stacking the box against him but Gardner Minshew doesn't he's not just surrounded by these weapons in this like prolific offensive system you know uh, the Jaguars they have a brand new offensive coordinator that they br- really brought in because he was a quarterback coach in Philadelphia with Nick Foles but he had just been fired last year from Minnesota so he's not a part of this like prolific. Factory offense. That's like oh, you know, you could put anybody at quarterback there and they'll be fine No, that's not the case Gardner is kind of making this thing happen and the players are starting to believe in it And I know it's still we still got a few weeks before Nick Foles is gonna be healthy again But I I don't think Nick Foles is gonna be seeing the field really okay I, I, I think we're getting to I think you're getting to that point. Gardner's played as well as you can expect uh, especially from a rookie, but he, he's stepped in and he's kind of taken control, and with the fanfare around him, barring some sort of collapse, it's going to be hard for them to put Nick Foles back in. So Minshew I mean, I know-
1: Mania over Big Dick Nick from uh, Super Bowl oh. champion. <laughs>
0: I mean, I mean, think about it. And, you know, it's a good problem to have if
1: you're having a pick between your $80 million
0: quarterback and a sixth-round pick rookie. But when, as long as Gardner's play doesn't fall off a cliff, you you can't pull him. Because right now they're tied for the lead in the AFC South. If they're still in that chase and Nick gets healthy, you don't mess up that continuity for a guy who played ten plays for you.
1: Well, the, you good, know, the good news is he's at least the second-best sixth-round starting quarterback in the NFL right now. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Behind Tom Brady, and, of course. Of course. And, you know, uh, it,
0: the way Gardner's played is is impressive. And you just keep waiting for, like, okay, when's somebody going to confuse this guy? And you you look at the advanced stats, and all of his advanced stats are great now. Great. All of everything. You, you know, he passes the eyeball test. Every once in a while, he makes one of those plays where you just go, wow, that's that's crazy. So, it, I don't think he's just a fad. I think he just has, you know, a bit of that it factor. And sometimes, you know, that it factor can outdo any physical limitation or anything that might have been able to hold you back, especially at quarterback. Because if you can get the guys around you to believe in you, that's all that really matters.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's true. All right, man, let's let's transition into some college football here. I talked about it quite a bit in my, my opening segment of the show. But... uh it, the, The SEC is unbelievable uh, so far this year as we enter uh, the month of October here. This is the first week of college football in the month of October. Five SEC schools ranked in the top ten and unbeaten all at the same time coming into this month. They all play uh, each other, at least two of the teams all play – all five of the teams, I should say, play at least two of the other teams. In Auburn's case, uh, they play all four of the other teams. Um, which is very unfortunate for them, <laughs> but uh, yeah, they could wind up eight and four, and you just don't know. Actually, uh, they they could be uh, the best damn eight and four team in the country, and they just just oh. happens to how it just happens to be how it is because their schedule is so crazy. What what, right. what have you seen uh, so far uh, from the SEC? And and let's start with uh, you know you're 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 a Bayou Bengal guy. You're you're from the great state of Louisiana. Right. Uh, what, what have you What have you seen from uh, Joe Burrow and, and the LSU Tigers as they look like a totally I mean I mean this This is like something unlike anything I've ever even imagined seeing at LSU, especially under Coach O. The LSU has finally embraced offense. Like, you know, in years past, everybody
0: would sit back and, you know, we're like, all right, man, we got these great wide receivers out here. We got a great running back. We got decent offensive line. And the defense is always lights out. But all we do is hand the ball off on first down, hand the ball off on second down, third down, you try and throw like a little crossing route to pick it up. And it's like, it's like beating your head into the wall. You're like, you're watching all these schools run these spread offenses with far less athletes. Power than LSU had, and now it's like Coach O finally woke up and said, "You know what? We're gonna do like they're doing." And Joe Burrow, I don't know where you know all of this came from, and maybe it's just the system change, but he looks outstanding. Like LSU finally has an offense that can put up some points. So. It, It just finally happened. This this is the first time in the school history. Joe Burrow's putting up numbers. He's rewriting the passing record book at LSU because they've just never had an offense like this before.
1: How how pissed are OBJ and uh, Jarvis Landry sitting up there in Cleveland watching this team play right now?
0: Man, every former LSU player has—they've all, all been going off saying, you know, I wish I'd have played in this system when I was there. Leonard Fournette's even said it. You know, they wish that they had played in this same system when they were at LSU because guys like OBJ, Leonard Fournette, Jarvis Landry—I mean, you, we can go down the list. There's a lot of these guys that they—they would have had insane stats in this system.
1: What cracks me—yeah, what cracks me up is—you uh, know. Anybody that's followed SEC football here in the last decade remembers uh, how porous Jordan Jefferson was as the quarterback for LSU. And now his brother, though, is putting up crazy numbers uh, as well as uh, the rest of the offense. But uh, it's amazing uh, to, to think about that era of LSU football. With uh, with Jarrett Lee and and uh, Jordan Jefferson at quarterback, and now Jefferson's Jordan Jefferson's brother Justin Jefferson, balling out in this offense.
0: You know, it, it's just that that's the the circle of Tiger life, you know, and I I'll guarantee you. Jordan Jefferson sitting somewhere wishing he'd have played in this system, too, because this system, it it lends itself to having athletes. The quarterback is just the distributor. We're going to try and find a way to get one of our outside guys one-on-one in some space and just let him make a play. Simple enough. And it makes sense, (laughs) you know? Instead of just playing that power offense that LSU traditionally wanted to play, which you know, played right into the strength of every other SEC school yeah. because that's what every SEC defense loaded up to do. Now nah, you're not going to run the ball on us. That's essentially what they said. That's why you've got so many defensive linemen and linebackers from the SEC and the NFL because that's what they're used to seeing.
1: Yeah. Well, I, first off, let me get on you. You can't make a circle of life reference when talking about Tigers. That's only for Lions. <laughs> only for Lions. <laughs> uh, you're right. You're right. <laughs> Uh,
0: I mean, it's still big cats, right? It's close
1: enough. But they they have stripes, though, man. That's 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 specifically reserved <laughs> for lions. Circle of Life is for lions. All right, fair enough. Simba, Mufasa—they're all going to be pissed at you for that one. So we we got to correct that for sure. Uh, <laughs> looking around the rest uh, of the conference, uh, Alabama number one in the new poll. Kind of surprised about that. I talked a little bit about that in uh, the last segment of the show because uh, Clemson. Clemson probably should have gotten beat uh, against North Carolina last week. I think that oh was that was I the u- North
0: Carolina would have pulled it off. I that was the upset.
1: That was the upset everybody was wanting to see in college football this year. Mm-hmm. I, I honestly
0: thought they were going to. Uh, the way it's looking right now, and I know it's still early in the season. I was sitting down trying to pick my four for the playoff, and I and, and unless Clemson steps it up, which they typically do, but right now I I, I don't know that I could put them in my four. Uh, just, you know, with with what I'm expecting and what I've seen, I I don't know that I can put
1: them in. The the quarterback play from Trevor Lawrence has been nowhere near what any of the other teams towards the top have looked like. You look at all the teams around Clemson in the top, you know, six, we'll say. You know, Tuatunga Baloa is putting up numbers even better than what he did last year. Unbelievable. He's on pace to throw like 69 touchdowns, dude. It's incredible. Uh Then, you know, Jake Fromm is as consistent as ever and continues to take care of the football and look good and be impressive when he needs to be. Joe Burrow looks fabulous. We just talked about him. Jalen Hurts looks like the next Heisman Trophy winner for Oklahoma as a transfer quarterback. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then Justin Fields has been, you know, just putting up monster numbers uh, we saw what he did last week in the prime time game against Nebraska. Trevor Lawrence is is the the anomaly there, man. He he's thrown an interception in almost every game so far this year, and he's only had one game where he's put up decent um, numbers against Syracuse. He threw for threw for over four hundred yards, but he still threw two picks in that game. For, I mean, for it's, Christ's sake, the guy only threw for like ninety yards against Charlotte a couple of weeks ago, man. It's crazy when you're talking about all this offensive
0: excellence and mentioning the SEC. Because, you know, typically we think, well, we're going to have a really good defense and a pretty good running game and an okay quarterback. This is insane how good the offenses in the SEC are right now. Oh, I know. Trevor Lawrence hasn't been getting the job done early in the season. But that's what Clemson's done the past couple of years. They know that, barring some sort of crazy mess up, they're going to end up in the playoffs, and that's when they always turn it on. And all of a sudden, we're like, "Oh my God, Clemson's so great!" But early in the season, they you know they struggle with Syracuse a couple of years, uh, the past couple of years. So it, you know, that's just what they do, and then they kind of figure it out. And by the end of the year, we're like, "Yeah, Clemson's got this. This is going to be a good matchup." So their sure schedule, probably... though,
1: man, their schedule's awful. I mean, they don't have they literally play no ranked opponents the remainder of nope. the season. Then you think about their one big game was against a Texas A&M team that mm-hmm. appears to be way overrated this year. Could have lost to Arkansas, who's one of the worst Power 5 teams out there last week. And then their other marquee game, Syracuse, who was a preseason top 25 team, the only other ACC team in the top 25, winds up getting blown out by Maryland. Like they let yep. Maryland hang 63 on them the week before Clemson comes in. The t- Their schedule looks awful. Yeah. Oh, they they
0: have nothing, and I mean, to some extent, it's just the luck of the draw with who, with being in the ACC as opposed to the SEC. That's why everybody always is like, oh, the SEC is finally falling off. No, th- these other SEC schools are just purging one another. Like you said, Auburn could end up with four losses but still you know, be one of the best teams in the country. That sucks when you look at it on paper. Like in a couple of years without paying any mind to it, you'll look at it and say, wow, oh, they had four losses. That was a bad year for Auburn. But it's possible that we're looking at, like, you know, they lose four three-point games to top-ranked teams, and we're just like, man, this is insane in the SEC right now. So, you know, sometimes you get lucky, and it just works out that way. But, you know, Clemson's probably going to end up running the table, barring, you know, something insane happens, which it probably won't. And maybe, who knows, maybe the playoff committee looks at that schedule and says,
1: y'all ain't played nobody. Y'all don't deserve to be here. (laughs) That ain't going to happen. They're defending champs. But and, it's not,
0: and, and we know that, and it sucks to some extent because you know, to some, but they may, do make these schedules so far out; it's tough to really say. Like, it's not like they made it in the off season,
1: and they're going to play some dog crap team from the Coastal Division in the ACC Championship again, like a five-loss Pittsburgh team last year. So that yep. just. Adds an extra game of, of crappiness to their schedule. Uh, yep. l- let's talk about the NCAA as we kind of put a bow on it here, Jamal. Uh, the, the 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 big ruling. Everybody's got to take about this, uh, and I wanted to get yours, especially considering you were a former uh, NCAA athlete yourself at Division Two uh, Clark Atlanta. Uh, going, you know, base, you know, basing it off your experience as an NCAA athlete, I know the the, the level of competition is is considerably down from just a money standpoint, uh, a financial aspect uh, with what you were playing at and, and, the, and the top level of college football. But just from a sheer athlete standpoint, what are your thoughts on, you know, not being allowed uh, to t- – players not being allowed to use their likeness all these years and, and where do you think this thing is going and how it's going to have an impact uh, moving well, forward?
0: Look, the first and foremost, let me go ahead and put it on record. I just hope this whole thing brings NCAA football back to the gaming councils. I just need a new game. Is that that literally your top (laughs)
1: priority out of all
0: this? (laughs) I mean, it's one of them. You know, look, I I think we need a new NCAA. It's been too long. I'd like one to come. I'm just saying I'm just going to put it
1: out there. You can just get the roster update, man.
0: I I, I want a new game. I think we need it, you know, and I don't want EA Sports to do it. I want, like, 2K Sports to buy those rights so that way we got something that's not just Madden with college teams on it. Nah. Uh, But, no, uh, seriously, the the NCAA has been ridiculous. They have been absolutely ridiculous with some of these rules, and there are so many stories out there. And one of the ones that I've kind of heard firsthand here in Jacksonville, Leonard Fournette was talking about when he was at LSU. He made a clothing line, and they kind of started selling some shirts, you know, just a clothing line that his name was on. NCAA found out about it. They had to give all the
1: money back. Yep, I remember that, actually.
0: You know, it it had nothing to do with football. It had nothing to do with, with, you know, LSU's program. It wasn't like that. It was just a clothing line. He was making some money on the side. That is absolutely ridiculous that these athletes can't do, you know, anything. I remember the one guy who had the the kicker who had the monetized videos of the trick kicks on YouTube and the NCAA comes in and has a problem with that. You know, some of these stuff, it's like, okay some stuff i i don't think you know they boosters should be paying to recruit the players if you find out about that okay but you know, some of this ticky stack stuff is absolute foolishness and the NCAA has just gone too far with it for too long I, I do think that the athletes get a lot from these universities that you go to you know for the they get tutoring services you get to have a free education you get a lot of clothes and things like that along along with it but when you ha- if you're a person like a Tim Tebow or a Johnny football where your likeness really turns into something where they're telling t-shirts left and right with your number and t-shirts with your face. And they're, they're trademarking things with your name on it. And at that point you really say, this guy should be getting a cut of this. You know, I went, I was in college station the year after Johnny Manziel left and the president was talking about the re the to remodeling of the field there of Kyle Field, and he said that he, at one point he wanted them to put up a statue and have a plaque on it outside of it and say the house that Johnny built because Johnny Manziel's fandom. Finance the whole re- renovation of that
1: stadium. Yeah, it did. It did. Yeah.
0: And given he's had a fall from grace now, so I don't think that statue's coming. But <laughs> but legitimately, his 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 play on the field financed them redoing Kyle Field, and Johnny Manziel saw zero pennies from that. I don't think that's right. No. Like if you you know, and that's my stance on it. I, do most athletes really? garner that sort of thing no but you know especially if you're a a huge name a tim tebow a you know a a tuatango vailoa right now yeah yeah you know if you're a guy like that yeah you need the 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 school needs to cut you a check you you need something because they're selling t-shirts with your face on it it's your number that's putting things there you know at some or certain schools if you're a good enough player you might be the reason people are showing up to the game to watch
1: no i mean you're totally right i mean i I have no allegiance to Texas, but I was a Texas fan for a short period of time. They were my second favorite team when Vince Young was there. So I mean, I, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with that. Speaking of uh, the Johnny Manziel thing, that's why you don't put up statues of people until they're dead. <laughs> yeah, you got to wait a minute. And let them. <laughs> no, that way you don't have to go tear them down like what happened with Joe Paterno. That's why you don't put up statues of anybody until they're dead. <laughs> That is a
0: good point, and you want to make sure that 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 record is gonna stay squeaky clean.
1: Yep, <laughs> you got to wait till they're six feet under, and you can look at their entire life in their in uh, their perception to the public before you can build a statue of them. That's that's something I've kind of stuck by, stood behind because. Nobody wants to see the footage of somebody's statue being torn down, and that no, that, that would probably bad. have been the case had they went ahead and built one. Joni Yeah, cell. if
0: they'd have done that, they definitely or are trying to hide it or something. So yeah, it, it's it's definitely safer to wait till they're dead. But you know the, the the whole athletes playing thing. You know you know that everybody's on different sides of the fence. There are a lot of athletes that are pro. It. So there are some athletes that say you know I I'm just grateful they've gone to my school and. You know, happy with what they got and don't think athletes should be paid. And I don't know that there's necessarily a a right or wrong to the to the equation. But I do think that if you are some phenom, if you're if you turn into a a phenom, a fad, uh, somewhat like Gardner Minshew is right now with the Jaguars. If you have a storyline that is almost bigger than what the team is doing on the field. they should cut you a check at least let you trademark all the names that they're trademarking for you
1: yeah no i agree man i agree and and like you said maybe this results in a new ncaa football game coming out i would see that'd be good i wouldn't mind (laughs) i wouldn't mind march madness basketball coming back i would not be mad at either one of those things the college baseball game kind of sucked so i'm okay without that Nah, we don't need that one. <laughs> we, we don't need
0: that. The, the March Madness game would be so hard now, though, with so many people doing the one-and-done rules. Goodness.
1: Yeah, you're right. You're right about that.
0: I, I, I don't even know if I'd want to go in there and try and build a program because I'd be so mad i get a five-star recruit and then he declares for the draft after the season. Well, there used, to be,
1: there used to be an option where you could turn off the declare early thing. Oh, I'd have to turn that
0: off. Oh, yeah, I'd be upset. I'm trying to build a program here, and you know, all my players keep leaving. <laughs> all right, you like ja- Kentucky?
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Jamal Saint Cyr with us here on the break in the Action Podcast. Thanks, man, for making time with us this evening. Best of luck and continued luck on everything going on down there in Jacksonville. Reminder: you can follow him along on Twitter at J Saint TV. Thanks, man. Hey, I, I had a blast, man. Anytime. Absolutely. You can follow him on Twitter. That is at J, uh, J Saint Cyr TV, And uh, keep up with everything. He's got some good videos. Uh, if you want to follow more of the Minshew Madness, Jamal is your man to follow. So uh, go ahead and do that. And, uh, Jamal, we will uh, catch up later down the road, man. Thanks for uh, hanging out with us for about a half hour. Hey, thanks for having me on, Brooks. And once again, uh, Jamal StSeer, You can follow him on Twitter at TV. So we're going to continue a little bit more of that conversation we were just having at the tail end there with Jamal about the NCAA player likeness here in the closing segment of the show. Going to do something each week on the show called my closing rant. And obviously this is a very complex, heated debate topic, however you want to phrase it. Uh, when it comes to the NCAA player likeness. A lot of people with a lot of opinions all around this topic, and we'll talk about that uh, coming up next. I'll give you my thoughts more in-depth with that closing rant. So stick around. This is the Break in the Action podcast. A reminder, you can find the show on Anchor.com as well as the Anchor app. We will have it available on iTunes here coming up in the next couple of days. And you can follow along on Twitter. I'm at Brooks A. Carter. We'll be back with the Break in the Action podcast after this. Welcome back into the Break in the Action podcast here. I'm your host, Brooks Carter. Thanks for listening along to this inaugural episode here. As I mentioned before the break, teased ahead. I'm going to do something in the final stanza of the show each week where I give you my closing rants. And starting with a big topic that is got t- several people ranting all across uh, the country right now. Anybody that is interested or intrigued or just anything by college athletics, fans of college athletics, has an opinion on this. And that is regarding uh, the law that has been passed in California and now appears to have several states following suit with players, college athletes, being allowed to monetize, make money, sell their likeness. Something they have never been allowed or able to do under NCAA rules. Now, California, as I just mentioned, has passed this law, and we've had several people talking about it as it was going through uh, the proposal and actually being voted into law. Uh, Ohio and Mississippi have now followed suit with proposing laws, and you sure as hell bet Alabama's going to be doing the same. Uh, Nick Saban and and those guys. uh, Nick Saban can't fall behind in recruiting guys. He he can't have uh, somebody you know, not coming to Alabama because they can go make money in California. So you can, you can rest assured Alabama will soon be follow. I mean, all, I believe all 50 states will be soon to follow with this. But I generally stand on the side of agreeing to allow players to be to be paid for their likeness. It, it's it's it, Honestly, it's one of the most un-American things in sports. Or not just even in sports, just in general. You know, you, you talk about being, you know, a free republic. You know, being, being uh, one of these countries that that people come to the land of opportunity in America, and then you're, you're telling college athletes the the literally the literal soul and 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 necessary thing that you have to have. To have college sports, you have to have the college athletes. And it's a multi billion dollar industry when you combine college football and men's basketball, and you're telling the guys that are making this happen, who are pl- actually playing the sports on the field and the court, that they're not allowed to take their name and use it to make money. That is un American. It's there's no other way around it. It doesn't happen in any other aspect of the United States. And to kind of play into this rant, one of the most polarizing figures in sports, I would say, in the last two decades has been former University of Florida quarterback Tim Tebow, Heisman Trophy winner, Tebow mania, all that, all, everything that took place when he was in the NFL with the Broncos, and I mean, one of the most popular players of all time. I mean, people were freaking out because he is playing minor league baseball. I mean, to, to the same effect that it was with Michael Jordan was playing for the Birmingham Barons. The same has been the case with Tim Tebow playing minor league baseball. So we know how popular he is, and we know how of an insanely polarizing popular player he was at the University of Florida. This is a little bit dated. This was, I think, about a week and a half ago he joined First Take, but I hadn't started a podcast yet. And since the law has now been passed into effect in California, I think it's even more fitting to, to bring this back. But Tim Tebow joined First Take, audio courtesy of ESPN. He was on there with Stephen A. Smith and Max Kellerman. And this were, this, these were his thoughts on the whole issue of player likeness and being able to, to monetize your name.
2: I feel like I have a little credibility and knowledge about this because when I, was at the, when I was at the University of Florida, I think my jersey was one of the top-selling jerseys around the world. Uh, it was like Kobe, LeBron, and then I was right behind them, and I didn't make a dollar from it, but nor did I want to because I knew going into college what it, what, what, it, um, what it was all about. I knew going to Florida, my dream school, where I wanted to go, the passion for it, and if I could support my team, support my college, support my university, that's what it's all about, but now we're changing it from us from we from my university from being an alumni where i care which makes college football and college sports special to then okay it's not about us it's not about we it's just about me and yes i know we live in a selfish culture where it's all about us but we're just adding and piling it onto that Mm. where it changes what's special about college football we turn it into the nfl where who has the most money that's where you go that's why people are more passionate about college sports than they are about NFL. That's why this, the the um, the stadiums are bigger in college than they are in the NFL because it's about your team. It's about your university. It's about where my family wanted to go. It's about where my grandfather had a dream of seeing Florida win an SEC championship, and you're taking that away so that young kids can earn a dollar. And that's just not where I feel like college football needs to go. That's fair, There's man. that opportunity in the NFL, that's but fair. not in college football.
1: Now, generally, I actually like Tim Tebow and and tend to agree with his takes on stuff. I totally disagree here. Totally disagree here. You talk about the different backgrounds that these guys are from. Some of these players that are coming into college, their families could use that money now. Not three years from now not 4 years from now when they get into the NFL like he's alluding to they could, they could use it right now they're from poverty man they live in awful situations their mom or grandma or whoever they they are living with their single parents anything i mean it could be it could be a family for the parents are working their asses off man to make ends meet for their family they could use that money right freaking now and I think that's what it boils down to. uh, That's my biggest issue with this: is the fact that it is a multi-billion-dollar industry. College sports is between college football and men's basketball, and the players cannot even. The players that are making it happen can't even use their own... Uh, it's the Olympic model. It's the Olympic model. You don't have to pay them a salary, but at least let them have endorsements, man. I mean, you're, I mean, Michael Phelps, look, how much money... I mean, he was not allowed to be paid through the Olympic model. That's how it works with the Olympics, in case you didn't know that. But how much money has he made off of endorsements because of how good he was? Okay, Tim Tebow didn't want to make money while he was in college. Okay, fine. I mean, why? I don't know why you wouldn't want to. But, you know, you look at the polarizing figures. Jamal just talked about it last segment. Tua Why? why would he not want that right now? I know he'll be in the league next year. But he also could... Snap his ankle in half, or you know, end his career. Have a have a Joe Theismann injury; it'd be done. He could, this could happen next week, and he could be done. Never earn a dime in the NFL, but if he would have had the ability in the last couple of years to sell his likeness, he could have been making money already. It's just crazy, man. It's crazy that it's even gone on for this long, and I think that this is a change. In a culture that is necessary, there's a ton of baggage that's going to go with it. I don't have time to totally get into all of that. Uh, of of just, uh, it's going to take a while for itself for its to figure itself out. But I think this is a a positive start, a, a a push in the right direction for college athletics to at least allow them to use their own name to make some money. We're not paying them a salary. At least let them use their own name to make some money. Hope you guys have enjoyed the inaugural episode here of Breaking the Action, the Breaking the Action podcast. We will be putting out new episodes every Thursday night. They will be available. I'll tweet them out on my Twitter page, at Brooks A. Carter on Twitter. I'll we'll have it available um, through Anchor, anchor.fm, as well as the Anchor app that you can download. It's free on iPhone and Android. And we'll have these available on iTunes, as well as the other uh, podcasting platforms that you may choose to listen uh, through. We'll have that updated, as I mentioned back at the top of the show. Um, it may take uh, you know two or three days to get everything approved and ready to go through those other services outside of Anchor. So, uh, thanks for listening uh, along to the inaugural episode. We'll be back next week. Until then, have a great week, guys.